0: Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, Pastor Tim brings us a message where we look at the significance of the Lamb and why Jesus is often called the Lamb of God. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around to after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim.
1: Bible. Uh, would you please join me in turning to Genesis chapter 22? No? We've been in Matthew uh, for uh, 13 months, something like that, 13 months, um, and you're probably thinking, why are we in Genesis? We're going to do Genesis. We'll, we'll, we're going to cover all the Genesis stuff, um, but we're going to start this morning in Genesis. What I want to What I want to do this morning with you all, for those who have been been with us in the Matthew series, we've noticed something, haven't we? Matthew really is intentional in helping us see that the whole story that he's been telling about the life of Jesus, the whole thing has been driving to the cross and the empty tomb. The stories we're going to look at this week and next week. Um, the whole thing Matthew's trying to help us see, like it, it's like a giant funnel and it's all moving towards that moment. Uh, if we miss this moment of the death and resurrection of Christ, we miss the story. However, um, it's bigger than that, actually. It's not just that Matthew's whole story has been driving towards the cross and the empty tomb. Uh, what I wanna show you this morning is that the whole story, the whole biblical story has been driving towards the cross and the empty tomb. Uh, in fact, there are things in your text that, if you read them fast, or if you think that the Bible is just a, a bunch of disconnected stories, uh, it is possible to miss some of the most, what I consider to be some of the most powerful things in the scriptures. So, what I want to do this morning, uh, in the little bit of time we have, is I want to walk through uh, that with you. And um, if you've been here for a while, I'm hoping some of this stuff, there may be some cobwebs on it, but some of this stuff will feel familiar because we've talked, to, we've, If if there's any passages that I love to teach, it's this story. Um, And so we've looked at it in the past a little bit. And so um, hopefully some cobwebs come off. If you're new with us, something you need to know about us. Um, One thing that South Harbor holds pretty dearly to us is that we believe when God said that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, the way we love God with our minds is with our brains. The brain is here for thinking. And so we actually believe that um, it's important often to engage our brains and to wrestle with what does this mean? How do we, like, what is the story that's unfolding here? So I tell you that, if you're new with us, we got a lot to cover and uh, stuff I'm quite excited about. Uh, in fact, uh, I want to show you how a lot of the pieces we've been looking at over the last few months have come together uh, in, this, in this moment. So um, we've seen how the individual moments, all those individual moments, that uh, especially the last week of Jesus' life, We've seen how Jesus is confronting a corrupt religious system uh, run by those priests, those Sadducees. We've seen how Jesus is in many ways making a statement against the Roman Empire who has brought their troops into their ground. He's making a statement. We've heard the murmurs and the whispers of revolution that were moving throughout the crowds as Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem for a celebration, a festival known as the Passover. We've explored that. Um, but what I want to show you is there's a whole other thread that's happening in this moment that uh, has been there the whole time. In fact, it's been there all the way since the beginning. So with that, uh, I want to take you back to a time of a man named Abraham. You've heard of Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons and many sons. Said, father Abraham, I am one of the-. Yeah, Father Abraham. Uh, he will become the father of all people, all Jewish people. However, in the story we're going to look at, Genesis 22, he's just a father, He's just a father. He and his wife have one biological child together, and then this story happens. It's Genesis 22. It's a, it can be a troubling story. Um, beginning in verse one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Let me pause here. This is a difficult story. Okay, this is a diff- We will explore this story in depth When we get to Genesis, I understand that um, this can be a really troubling story. If this is the first time you're in a church, this is a troubling story. Uh, And I actually think that it's misunderstood um, when we, uh, we we need to do a deep dive. All that to say, we're going to leave the tension of why would God ask this of his, like, why would God, he doesn't ask him to carry it out. Okay, so that's important to know. And we'll explore the story. Um, I'm going to leave that tension this morning, though. Um, What I want us to grab and try to look for is there is a problem in this text, not a, just a theological or a philosophical problem of what kind of God is God. We'll, we'll explore that later. But there is another problem in the text, a problem that the, uh, the religious teachers of Jesus' day noticed this problem, and it bothered them. There's a problem in the text. It's a detail problem. Okay, so I wanna see, if, I'm gonna read, you the rest of, read with you the rest of the story, and I wanna see if you can find the detail problem in the story. It's a detail problem. Verse three, early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I go, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, "but, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. That's the story. Now, again, there's theological problems you probably have. If you were with us, by the way, uh, if you were with us when we talked about Gehenna, remember the Valley of um, Henna, the word that the Bible translates, Hell? Um, that's all connected to this story. So, this child sacrifice, we'll get there later. Um, but let's leave the philosophical, theological problem for now. Uh, what other problem do you see? Is there any detail problem you see in the story that's like, that doesn't make any sense? Or that's wrong? Or that, like, any detail? Isaac asked his dad in verse 7 The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac asked Abraham, Dad, where's the lamb? Where, where's the lamb for the offering? And then we read, here's the detail problem. Abraham says, God will, God will provide the lamb, but when all is said and done, what do they find in the, in the bush? A ram, not a lamb, a ram. And then they sacrifice the ram. But, but Abraham said, God will provide a lamb, but it's not a lamb, it's a ram. Uh, in fact, they're two totally different words. The word for lamb, as in where is the lamb, is the Hebrew word se. And then the word for ram is a totally different word. It's the word "ayil" in Hebrew. "Ayil." They're different words. They're different animals. Where is the lamb? That's uh, Abraham said God will provide the lamb, but it's a ram that's caught in the thicket. This question for two thousand years, from Abraham to Jesus, this question drove people bonkers. What? Where's the lamb? It, the story talks about a lamb. It's essential. Like God essentially says, "Don't sacrifice a child." Instead, sacrifice the lamb. But there's, where's the lamb? It's a ram that ultimately gets sacrificed. Okay, that's story one. Um, Genesis 22 happens in a region known as what in the text? Moriah. So Genesis 22 happens in a region known as Moriah. Moriah is mentioned twice in your text, in your biblical text. Uh, it's mentioned here in Genesis 22. And then it's mentioned again later, about a thousand years later, in 2 Chronicles 3 Verse one, let me read you just the beginning of verse one. Notice the detail we're told about Mount Moriah. Then Solomon, that's David's son, Solomon, began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Okay, that's a big detail. Uh, Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. So on Mount Moriah... This place that God ended child sacrifice. Right? We're not, that's not what we're going to do. That's not what God is going to ask of us. God says, I want you to build a temple. That Mount Moriah becomes the site. So this place where Abraham lays down his son, makes the altar, like he, he, he's, he thinks he's got to sacrifice his son. It becomes a place that we will know as Jerusalem. Later, About a 1,000 years later, it'll be the spot where they build a temple. Every year at this spot, where's the lamb? Thousands of lambs would be brought for a celebration, a festival known as the Passover festival. 2,000 years later, Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's coming to celebrate the Passover festival in Jerusalem. The same spot that Abraham brought his son and God says, don't do it, I do not demand that of you. Okay, so that's the detail. Where is the lamb? That's the lingering question, though. So they're practicing this for thousands of years, but where is the lamb? Now, John, Jesus' cousin, so Abraham, 2,000 years later, uh, Abraham, 1,000 years later, we build the temple. 1,000 years after this, John the Baptist, first time Jesus as an adult makes a, a scene in your scriptures, is when John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, says, these words, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, or the sin of the world. And then a little bit later, he says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, that may not strike you as odd, right? That, that little detail, John, especially if you grew up in church, like, yeah, Jesus is the Lamb of God. You've heard this teaching. You know kind of some of this stuff. Like, but like, think about this. If you're just part of John's, like, crew. And there, here comes a man, and, and all of a sudden you hear, he's, there he is, he's the lamb. He's, it's kind of a weird thing to call it an adult man, right? Like, would you want me to say, hey, look at you, lamb. Like, you wouldn't probably, like, what, what is John getting at here? What is John wanting us to see here? So what I want to do is I want to see, okay, we've got this story of Abraham and Isaac. We've got this story 2,000 years later of Jesus entering for the Passover a little bit before that, A couple years before that, John calls Jesus a lamb. Jesus goes for a celebration where they're gonna kill a bunch of lambs. What happens in between those stories? Uh, For 2,000 years, the question that lingered amongst the Jewish people is, where is the lamb? Dad, where's the lamb? Isaac asked Abraham, where's the lamb? Now, story one, Abraham and Isaac. Story number two, about 500 years later, we meet another man who has a very similar story. The stories are very, very similar. His name is Moses. Moses is commissioned by God to lead the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt. It's a, it's a powerful story. There are 10 plagues, um, and the last of the 10 plagues is a plague known as the, past, uh, the it's, a, it's gonna be the killing of the firstborn son. But God says, I'll spare the son if you take a lamb and, and kill the lamb, put its blood on your doorpost, the angel of death will pass over the house. Complicated story. Um, but the angel of death will pass over. So they referred to this celebration as the Passover. It's where we get the name. It will pass over. They called it the Passover. And every year from that point on, you've got every family saying, we've got to recreate this moment. We've got to celebrate the Passover festival. God is setting something up here. We have two stories That involve a son, a firstborn son, who gets passed over and somehow it's the life of an animal that allows the the death to pass over them. Two stories. Now to the Jewish people, um, they wanted to make sure that they celebrated this moment every single year. They don't miss the significance of this particular Passover moment. This is when God set us free. So how do we celebrate this? How do we remember this? Well, they create a, a, a series of laws and rituals and traditions so that they never forget this moment. We've looked at some of them. We looked at the meal. Um, we, we looked at the, the liturgy of the meal. We looked at the seating arrangement. Um, they, they have all of these traditions, but central to the traditions would be the sacrifice, a sacrifice that would happen every day and a sacrifice that would happen every year on the Passover, Two sacrifices, one that happens every day so that we do not forget that God set us free, and then a, a bigger celebration that would happen once a year to really remember that God, as our nation, God has set us free. We are not people of slavery anymore. God set us free. Now, here's where things, in my opinion, get, begin to get really interesting. I gotta walk you through some details. First, uh, let's look at the daily sacrifices. Uh, Exodus 29 says this about the daily sacrifices says, this is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning and offer the other at twilight. So God says, take two lambs and every single day so that you don't forget the Passover, I want you to offer them as a sacrifice. That I set you free. You do not have to kill your children to, to appease me. I set you free. If You need to remember this. So every day, one in the morning and the other at twilight. Now, as, as time carried on, the Jewish people recognized, okay, that's a bit vague. What if we get it wrong? What if we get it wrong? What, like, when is morning, and what is twilight? And so in a book called the Mishnah, the, there was a debate, and the Jewish people landed on the times so that we never get it wrong. We're going set to set our clocks to this time. When is the, the morning? Well, first sun up, at dawn, we will take a lamb, and we will tie the lamb to the altar, and then, you know, because you don't want to be scurrying last minute. So we're going to tie the lamb for the, to the altar. And then for three hours until 9 a.m., we are going to let the lamb stay tied to the altar. At 9 a.m., a horn known as a shofar would be blown. This is my uh, baby version of a shofar. They're usually much bigger. See if I, I've learned how to blow these. I've, right into the mic. or pretty good. I'm getting better. It smells really bad still. Um, I bought it off of a guy named Johnny in Bethlehem. It's, uh, the big one sound really cool. It's, uh, it's a ram's horn. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a dying ram, which, by the way, if you're an NFL fan, <laughs> the rams aren't doing so good this year. We have golf. We're going to win. They would blow the ram's horn, the shofar, every day at 9 a.m. And then the priest would take a knife. You've got the lamb tied. And he would take his knife, and he would remember. The people would look, and they would remember that God set them free from slavery. We don't have to sacrifice our child. God has set us free. They would blow the shofar, the priest, the high priest. He would take the knife, and then he would lower the knife. He would kill the lamb. It's blood. A reminder that God does not ask for your blood. That was every day at 9 At noon, you would take the second, because God says there's two. There's a morning and there's an evening sacrifice. Every day at noon, a second animal, a second lamb, would be tied to a second altar, well, the same altar, would be tied to an altar. And for three hours, they would wait until 3 p.m. They said that was God's time, 3 p.m. 3 p.m., you would take, the priest would again, take his shofar, He'd blow the shofar, he would raise the knife, and he would kill the second lamb. It's blood so that you you can be reminded you don't have to. God does not demand a child from you. God does, your sons can live. This happened every single day. Um, There was a sacrifice twice a day in the very same spot where God said to Abraham, on this spot, God will provide Where's the lamb? Well, they said, well, every year we're gonna do this as a way of remembering that God will provide the lamb every single year. For 2,000 years, the high priest would blow the shofar, raise the knife every single day. That's a daily sacrifice in Jerusalem. It's like a full-time job, basically. If, it's, if you're the high priest, this is what you do every single day. But there's also a yearly sacrifice. Once a year, we're gonna do this, not just every day we need to remember just think about like the rituals you do every single day. Just to be reminded that God loves you. God lo- Maybe you pray with your kids every morning. You say, like, or pray with your kids every evening. You do something every day to remember that God loves you. But every Christmas, you're going to do something a little bit bigger. You're going to do something a little bit, like you're going to go a little bit, uh, a little more pomp, a little more circumstance. This is a big deal because God set us free. And so every year on the Passover celebration, a day known as Passover, you and your family would pick your own lamb. Uh, it's not just enough that the the priest takes a lamb and sacrifices a lamb twice a day. What they understood was this has to be personal. God set all of us free. This is personal. We all have been set free. So every family would take a lamb and you would bring your lamb to be reminded that your son has been spared. Your family is still here because a lamb died. So you would take a lamb Every single year as a family, and that would be your sacrifice, that your Passover lamb. When Jesus gathers his disciples at that table, and he celebrates with his disciples the meal we know as the Last Supper, or the Eucharist, or communion, it's that meal. They're the family, taking the lamb every single year. Now, according to the custom, the father would kill the lamb on behalf of his family. So it's the father's job. You kill the lamb on behalf of your family. Raising the question... When is a boy a man? When, is a, when, when does a boy get to kill his first animal? When does a boy turn into a man? Now, that's a hard question in our culture. Um, when does a boy turn into a man? We don't have like a rite of passage in our world. Um, when does a boy turn into a man? Like when they're done playing beer pong or video games? I don't know. We don't have like an, we don't have a thing, right? Like, but they had a time where they said, this is the moment where a boy becomes a man. That day was 12 When you turned 12, if you were a Jewish boy, you, it was your job to take the lamb, and on behalf of your family, dad would kind of stand back and watch. And on behalf of your family, you would sacrifice the lamb. That was when you were 12. Now, every family took part in this. Uh, First century historian Josephus records that 256,500 lambs were killed every Passover, Somebody counted, apparently, but two, two, 256,500 lambs every single Passover. It's a lot of lambs. Now, um, I'm Dutch, okay? So if you're Dutch, you probably are thinking the same thing. Like, every year we got to do this? And so if it's every year and I got I to take a lamb, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through my, my sheep and I'm going to look for a lamb that's, you know, not the prettiest lamb, not the best Healthiest lamb, maybe maybe a lamb that's like got, like walking like you know maybe an old lamb, uh, maybe a lamb that kind of um, I don't know it's got like a runny nose all the time and like pus coming out of his eyes like I'm gonna find that lamb and be like here you go God like uh, that's the dutch and me because we'll keep that we'll give that one to God. God said no no you can't do that okay you can't do that God understands the human heart and He says you can't just come in and say well I, I, it's been a hard week here's my dying lamb you every year you've got to give me your best now if you can't afford a lamb you can there's other there's alternative sacrifices this is not about the animal Uh, if you're poor you can offer the sacrifice of some birds everyone can can find a bird um you don't have to raise the bird you can offer some birds by the way when Jesus's parents offer a sacrifice on behalf of their son what are they um for the circumcision moment remember what they offer Doves. yeah they're poor they're poor um, but you don't have to, but if you can't afford it, you're to offer a lamb and it has to be the best, has to be, this is what Exodus 12, five says, the animals you choose for the Passover must be your old males without defect. In other words, it has to be perfect. It has to be flawless. Okay. You following these details. Like, what are we talking about? Sacrifice? It's Christmas time. Why are you talking about this? Um, stay with me. Uh, the question then that would naturally come up is, how do you know if it's a year old male that's perfect? Okay, I can, okay we raise it, it's a year old. We can do that piece. But how do we know if it's perfect? How do you really know? How do you know that like, it doesn't have like a, like a bum leg? of like, How do you know it's perfect? How do you know this lamb is perfect? The only way you would know is if you could inspect the lamb. You'd have to like, watch the lamb and you'd have to look at the lamb. Exactly, they said. Exactly, you've got to inspect your lamb. And so for four days... Every family was required to have their lamb inspected to make sure the lamb you brought for a sacrifice was perfect. You would take your lamb or buy a lamb once you get to Jerusalem, but then the lamb has to be inspected. It has to be like certified, certified organic lamb. Um, You have to certify your lamb four days. Why four days? Exodus 12, the first Passover. They said it was four days. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family one for each household. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So for four days, you're gonna inspect your lamb. You're gonna check its ears. You're gonna check its eyes. You're gonna check its tail. You gotta make sure your lamb is perfect. God says, don't give me the the last lamb. Give me your best. A year old male, perfect lamb without blemish. So for four days, that lamb gets inspected. Yeah, but how do you really know? How do you really know? You inspect the lamb, but how do you really know that uh, it, when it was a newborn, it didn't s- like scuff up its knee or something? How do you know that it's actually perfect? How do you know it's really, really perfect? The only way you could tell if a lamb was actually perfect, perfect, because God says to do like a perfect lamb without defect. The only way you could do that is if you watched a lamb for 24 hours every single day. That's ridiculous. And so they said, well, that's what we'll do. God wants it perfect. We'll create a system in which we watch a set of lambs every day, all day. Now, um, there was a group of special priests actually set aside. Uh, they were, their job was to watch the sacrificial lambs. we got to make sure the lambs are perfect. Now, uh, that raised a whole other set of questions. If you're a priest, you've got to stay ceremonially clean. And lamb feces is not clean. So how do you make sure if you're a priest that you're staying pure? Well, they built towers. Uh, We have a tower known as Migdal Eder. It means Tower of the Flock. Tower of the Flock, Migdal Eder. And these special shepherds would sit on the towers and they would watch the sheep. Unless they had to come down, they would stay up and they would watch the sheep. Now take a guess where we have found Migdal Eder. Guess where it is. A city... Okay, let's back up. Um, If you are going to raise up sacrificial sheep and you're Jewish, this is before Jesus, and you want to make sure that like, okay, I've got to raise up the sheep. Which city would you choose? Who's the most famous shepherd in your Old Testament? David. David. We'll go to David's city. David's from a city called Bethlehem. We'll raise up our lambs in Bethlehem because that's where David's from. Now, um. Okay, pause here. I know you're thinking, why are we talking about sheep? <laughs> and le- like, what's the, what's the point? There's all these details. I get it, lots of details. Let's talk about one more, uh, Leviticus. This is the most fun, Leviticus. Everyone, every, every good party starts with a reading of Leviticus! Leviticus! Leviticus 23 outlines seven major yearly Jewish festivals. Passover's one of the seven major yearly Jewish festivals. Um, if you've been at South Harbor, we did, we've talked about this before. Uh, the festivals existed for two purposes. One purpose was to remember something that happened. Passover exists to remember that God set you free from slavery. But a, but a festival also served another purpose, and that was to point ahead to something. In fact, the word the word festival like passover festival is a hebrew word mikra mikra means to rehearse or to practice so for 2000 years here's the problem for 2000 years the jewish people had no idea what are we practicing for every year god says take a lamb kill the lamb like but why what are we practicing for you can imagine a, a father and a son or a family walking down to jerusalem for the celebration god said to go okay why are we going because God set us free, son. Like, God set us free. Yeah, okay, but, 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 like, why do we have to go to Jerusalem? Because, because of Abraham, and this is the story. This is what our, our family's part of this bigger story. Yeah, but why, why every year? Well, it's one of the festivals. Well, what's a festival, Dad? Well, festival is, is it means to rehearse. What are we rehearsing for? I don't know. They didn't know. They didn't know. It's just, we're practicing for something. They believed that at some point in the future, God was going to do something. They didn't know what. But every year we practice these festivals because God is up to something. And this happened every year for 2,000 years. They've been practicing. They've been rehearsing for something. Every day, two lambs. One in the morning, one in the evening. Every year, a bit more pomp and circumstance, you would sacrifice a lamb as a nation. You would be reminded that God set you free. But not just that, your family would celebrate a meal in which the male. The and once you're a male, how old are you when you're a male uh, adult? Twelve. When you're an adult male, you get to sacrifice for your family for the first time. Uh, your family would be reminded that that animal died so that you don't have to. God, our God is not like that. Abraham asked his dad, "Dad, where's the lamb?" For 2,000 years, children asked their fathers and their mothers, parents, mom, dad, where, why are we rehearsing? What are we rehearsing for? And then one morning, you call this day Christmas. Uh, one morning, some angels come to a group of shepherds, and uh, they have a message for the shepherds. This is Luke 2. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now what's the town of David. Bethlehem. So hang on now. You've got shepherds in Bethlehem. Why are there shepherds in Bethlehem? Now we don't know for sure. We don't know. It doesn't, but you can assume some things. Why are there, what sheep are the shepherds in Bethlehem watching? The sacrificial sheep? Shepherds in Beth, Bethlehem come to Jesus where they find Jesus wrapped. And placed in a manger, which is exactly what you would do if you want to protect a sheep. A, a, a manger is a, is a feeding trough for sheep. If you want, and they're they're stone; they're not wood. I love um, taking people to. There's a manger in Chorazin in Israel, and um, you see the stone basin manger. That's they understand what's going on. Jesus shows up, or God shows up to shepherds with an announcement that Jesus is in a manger in Bethlehem. Now, that's story one. Then there's a gap. The next story we read about Jesus is when he's 12. Here's the the detail we're told about him at 12. Luke 2. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Now, if Jesus is 12, what's the custom? This is the year I do it for my family. This is the year... I sacrificed the lamb. That's the second thing we're told about Jesus. Then there's a gap from 12 to 30. There's no details recorded about Jesus. All we're told is that he grew in wisdom and stature. But at 30, Jesus comes back on the scene and the first thing that's announced over Jesus is by his cousin John. He sees him coming in a distance and he says, he's a lamb. Here comes the lamb of God who's coming to take away the sin of the world. So at birth... You have Jesus placed in a manger, wrapped like a lamb in a lamb's feeding trough, with shepherds visiting him in Bethlehem. Then, at twelve, he participates in the, the festival. Then, at the age of thirty, John says he's a lamb. He's our lamb. For thousands of years, boys, children would be asking their parents the question of uh, that Isaac asked Abraham, "Dad, where's the lamb?" And now we have an answer. Jesus becomes the lamb. But the second question, Dad, what are we rehearsing for? Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into town on a donkey. Um, Here's where things get very, very interesting. He comes into town on a donkey for a festival known as the Passover Festival. He's gonna celebrate the festival with with his nation, We refer to this as Palm Sunday because they're cheering, Hosanna, save us. They're waving palm branches. We refer to that as Palm Sunday. Jewish people at the time of Jesus did not not refer to that day as Palm Sunday. You know what they called it? Lamb selection day. Why? Why is this lamb selection day? Because Passover's coming. We have to choose our lamb. It has to be inspected. We've got to choose our lamb. So as the crowds... Are waving their palm branches and saying, Hosanna, save us. Jesus cries. Why does Jesus cry? I don't think they fully realize it, but they're choosing their lamb. You'll be our lamb. If only you knew what will bring you peace, he says. Now that happens, I'll let you choose your lamb, and then you've got to inspect your lamb. What comes next in your text? There are four days of rigorous inspection. We work through, I think, three months worth of just the questions. First, the religious leaders come at Jesus. You, who, where do you get your authority? How dare you? Then come the religious leaders. Then come Herod. He comes at Jesus. Then you've got the Roman governor himself. For four days, you've got inspection after inspection after inspection. Are you really this? Where do you get your authority, John the Baptist? Four days of inspection. And then Jesus is brought to a Roman governor named Pilate. Pilate says these words. Uh, Verse uh, Luke 23. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence, and I have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. In other words, I inspected him. Four days, you inspected him. I inspected him. He's perfect. There's no blemish. He's perfect. Now, remember, centuries of the Passover celebration, there was the sacrifice of a lamb. Uh, every day... Twice a day, you would sacrifice two lambs. The first lamb at nine a.m. The second lamb you would sacrifice, or you tie it at nine a.m., or you kill it at nine a.m. The second lamb at three p.m. Every day, but every year on Passover, you do it with a bit more pomp and circumstance. Two lambs as a nation, still one in the morning, one in the evening. One lamb every family. Jesus is arrested. He's tried. There's a, a legal trial. We looked at this last week. There's an illegal trial. Um, That's where we left off our story. Read Matthew 27 in detail. It's heart-wrenching stuff. I'll spare you the details Uh, for now. Um, But after his trial, Jesus is brought out to the crowds. Four days earlier, the crowd said, Hosanna, you're our lamb, Jesus. You'll be the lamb, whether they realize they're saying it or not. They choose their lamb four days earlier. He's inspected for four days He's perfect, Pilate says. He's perfect. He's per- I find no fault in him. That's the exact words. I find no fault. He's perfect. Jesus is then bound to a cross. Uh, when does this happen? Luke tells us this happens at dawn. The same time that first lamb of the day is bound to an altar, we read in our text that Jesus is bound to the cross. And for the next several hours, uh, he spat on He's mocked. He's tortured. They put a purple robe on him. You're king. I'm like this is your. They, they twist a crown of thorns for three hours. He's tied to his altar. Then at nine a.m. Well, at nine a.m. Jerusalem always gets silent because it's the it's the sacrifice time. Caiaphas, who a couple hours earlier was standing over the illegal trial, the high priest, has now got a job to do. And so a shofar is blown, a knife is raised, and that lamb that's been tied to that altar is killed. It's blood so that you can be reminded that your life is spared. At that exact moment, according to our scriptures, Mark 15 says this, it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. As the shofar is blown and as the knife is raised, you have tell me they didn't get the picture. 2,000 years, uh, sons would ask their their dads the question Isaac would ask Abraham, uh, where's the lamb? Dad, what are we rehearsing for? At noon, uh, we read in our text that that, uh, the noon of this, of Christ's death, it gets dark. It's almost uh, like God Himself, the Father Himself, cannot look at it. Um, we read that the temple tears from top to bottom. That's a symbol of mourning in Jewish culture. You rip your shirt from neck to navel as a way of saying, This is my heartbreaking. You have this heartbreaking image of God the Father saying, I can't even see. This is my boy. That's at noon. Also at noon, a second lamb is brought to a set, that altar, tied to the altar. And for three hours, we have Jesus uh, on the cross, like he's calling out Elijah. They're, mo- they're mocking him still. He's praying, Psalm 22. Read Psalm 22, it's a powerful prayer. And that goes for three hours. And then at 3 p.m., shofar blows. <laughs> Another knife is raised, and the second lamb is killed. And at 3 p.m., at the exact moment the nation is quiet for the sacrifice, Christ cries out in a loud voice, Matthew tells us, and gives up his spirit. dies. And in that moment, we read that it's a Roman guard who looks at what has happening, and he says, surely he must be the son of God. 2,000 years earlier, a boy asked his dad on the exact same location, where is the lamb? For 2,000 years, the question that walked with the people every year as they walked to Jerusalem is, why are we rehearsing? (laughs) What are we practicing for? Why all the blood? Why all the lambs? Why all the practicing? What are we practicing for? All of it has been pointing to this. Two final thoughts, real quick. First final thought. Um, when Jesus cries out, so uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus cries out, and then he gives up his spirit. Um, John, who was the only disciple that followed Jesus to the cross, tells us, what he, tells us what he cries. John says that the words that come out of Christ's mouth are, it is finished. It is finished. an important question that we all have to wrestle with is when Jesus cries out, it is finished, do you believe him? Can you actually trust that Jesus bore the punishment for all the guilt and all the sin? Do you actually believe him? The followers of Baal would cut themselves because they were trying to get God's attention. Do you believe that you've got God's attention? You're forgiven. All of the... On the cross, your shame, your doubt, your disbelief, your disobedience, your rebellion, the thing you did in college that you're still embarrassed about, the thing um, you said to your spouse that you can't believe the words came out of your mouth, the lie that you've been hiding that nobody knows about, all of it on the cross, Christ says, it is finished. Do you believe that? Uh, a God who can weave history together to tell this beautiful story can weave all of the broken bits of our history together. Last final thought. Uh, uh, this one about Christmas. Um, I find it really powerful. I told you this as I've been putting this whole series together. That Christmas on Easter will be interesting. Like we'll be talking about death on the day before we talk about life um, or the Sunday before. Uh, it's, an interesting, it's interesting. Um, and i found this whole a particular series to be helpful to me as I sing the songs O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and like as we sing these Christmas songs Away in the Manger I find it really powerful that my brain has been thinking about the sacrifice of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. Like, the, I, that That's um, you've heard me say this if you've been here for a while, that uh, I personally like pretty Christmases. I like lights. Um, I, like, I, I try to go national lampoons on, you know, like the, we do the lights. We want the, the Christmas tree, a real Christmas tree. I like my Christmases pretty and shiny. I do. However, I think we run a great risk, um, especially in churches, that in our attempts to honor Christ by making our Christmases really pretty and really shiny, we can lose the weight of the whole thing. Jesus is born to an unwed, pregnant teenager. Now, we know the story. Did they? Did his neighbors, did they believe it? Scandal. The word they would call somebody who was born out of wedlock, that child would be called a mumser. It's a curse word in our, in, in our language. Uh, Jesus is—he lives a life of rejection and loneliness and betrayal. Um, he's hung between two thieves on the cross, He's born in six inches of sheep manure. I remember the first time I um, I stood in Israel. In uh, my tour guide at the time, I was like I was young twenties, and he said, "This is this cave like thing is, is probably the right environment for the Christmas story." This is this isn't the location. That's in Bethleh- that's in Bethlehem, and that's a pretty church now. But you miss the picture there. This is what it would have looked like. And I remember standing in the in there. And you know what I did when I stood in the cave in, just outside of Bethlehem? I gagged. It smelled so bad. There's flies, there's heat. Um, the, the cleaner we make Christmas, the more it's possible that we miss that our God chose to leave heaven to be born in six inches of manure. You can use a different word. That's the picture. God loves us that much. My, our, my first Christmas here, um, I was trying to talk Jared into allowing us to, uh, or I was trying to talk him into an idea I had. I was like, what if we had tubs and we like, like, saran wrap the tops of the tubs and so nobody was in the t- nobody knows what's in the tubs. And then halfway through the Christmas, like, singing, we open up the tubs and it's, I actually worked with a chicken farmer. So I had all, like, I was like, we can arrange to get chicken feces, chicken manure. And it would, just to get the smell of Christmas. And I know it's a bad idea. Jared's like, yeah, that's not sanitary. Um, <laughs> and it's not sanitary, but, but, like, but, but life's not sanitary, is it? Is your life? Like, it's not sanitary, but it's not our lives. And I think the punch of Christmas is that our God loves us even when life isn't sanitary. And if we miss this, We will walk into the next week, we'll sing the pretty songs, we'll listen to Harry Connick Jr., we'll open presents, but we'll miss this. Let's let the next week as we celebrate Christmas, I'm not suggesting you put manure in your house, to remember, but let's allow the next week as we walk into Christmas to be an opportunity that at least once a day we're pausing and saying, God, I don't deserve this, but thank you. It's a gift of grace. Uh, Lord, we pray this, that Jesus, this morning as we celebrate um, Christmas and as we ring in the Christmas season, Lord, our prayer is that you would remind us once again that your love is so deep and so wide for us, Lord, that while we were still sinners, that's when you came. Uh, Lord, would you remind us that when you said from the cross to the people who nailed you there that you forgive them, um, Lord, would you remind us that no matter what we've done, you forgive us. And Lord, as we sing this last song, would you help us to sing it knowing that we are your ambassadors in a world who's still trying to earn something. Uh, Lord, would you remind us that you've already paid the price. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Would you please stand?
0: We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., you can find our service streamed live on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.